Welcome to another edition of the Tom Green Podcast. Believe it or not, as 2018 is coming to a close, this will actually be the final podcast of 2018. And for me, 2018 has been quite an interesting year. From networking with friends like Jenny Taft to Laura Rutledge and Tim Brando, Holly Saunders, and all and all of them, it's been it's been a fun year. And I've in fact I've even graduated from Saginaw Valley State with a bachelor's in communications and professional technical writing. It's definitely been a great year on my aspect as terms of getting into the sports world, and hopefully, 2019 will bring big, bigger and better things. As we close out this year, we bring in one final guest, and this guest has been a friend of a different guest. We remember when Charles Kangas came on the show, and I've guessed it on his show, where he said that the Kangas man can. Well, this is another Charles, and we're not sure if he's related to the Rams corner Marcus Peters, but he shares the same last name with him. His name is Charles Peters, and he's here with us on the Tom Green Podcast. Welcome to the show, Charles. Thanks for having me, Tom. Looking forward to it. Um, love talking college football, so I'm ready to go whenever you are, but thanks for having me. Especially. So um, tell us a little bit about um, the Ohio podcast that you've been on, if you've been on any knowing to, uh, the Kangas man. Uh, how did you get involved with that? Yeah, yeah me and Charles started that uh, probably – I don't know, beginning of this football season, really, uh, we started our podcast, and we, we mainly talked about the Buckeyes. We followed the Buckeyes closely, especially with the resurgence of the Browns. We are following the Browns uh, left and right, everything they were doing, from the coaching changes to the quarterback change to getting on this run with uh, winning football games and energizing the city um, as the Browns. We haven't seen from Browns in 20 years, so that was a huge part of our podcast, and, um, you know, we covered the Cavs here and there, um, especially with LeBron leaving and what was going to happen with that, but we were mainly a Cleveland-based sports podcast, with, of course, with the Buckeyes, um, so, you know, we covered all those um, aspects within our podcast. And their podcast is named 88 Problems, but Sports Ain't One, because there are 88 counties in the state of Ohio. Yes, sir. So, with that being said, we move to our playoff preview, part two, if you've been listening to the show. In fact, we did our first preview with Gray Robertson, so we got more of an SEC perspective on this playoff. Now we're going to get <clears throat> a Big Ten slash independent perspective on this playoff, and I say independent because Charles is a Notre Dame fan. I've been my whole life, Tom. Um, started when I was little. My grandfather actually played for the Irish in the 30s, so my dad was a big fan, uh, raised us up as uh, Notre Dame fans. I actually had two brothers go there, so, I mean, Notre Dame's been ingrained in us since we were little. I have all the gear. Um, our flag's been flying all week, big week here for us, so, um, yeah, I've been Notre Dame through and through my whole life. Believe it or not, if you've ever heard of the Under the Dome podcast, Ben Belden is another name you might have heard from the state of Ohio, and I had him on the podcast to start out the season for Michigan-Notre Dame. So I actually have a few Notre Dame perspectives, as well as um, I went to Essexville-Garber High School, and our head football coach, who was actually my gym teacher back in elementary school 
moving up throughout the years is Jake O'Quillard, huge Notre Dame fan, and not, uh, here at uh, Bay City, we have, a, we have a school named Banger John Glenn High School, and the men's basketball coach is, believe it or not, Tory Jackson. So uh, believe it or not, I have a lot of Notre Dame connections, even though I'm a big Michigan fan. Yeah, Tory Jackson, great uh, great point guard for the Irish uh, a few years back. Um, that's a name I haven't heard in a long, long time. So um, that's a great connection, a uh, Notre Dame connection to have. Definitely. So they'll they'll be tuning into this podcast pretty closely as Peters is a Notre Dame fan. And, of course, <coughs> we're going to dig right into it as the first game up in the, playoff pre, in the playoffs is Notre Dame and Clemson from the Cotton Bowl. So a few years, just three years back, Notre Dame had played Clemson in the in the pouring rain in a Clemson victory. So, no, so from the Notre Dame perspective, is there a feeling of revenge from that matchup um, a few years ago? I mean, I don't think so, just because it was three years ago and there's not a whole lot of guys who played in that game that are playing now. So I think it's uh, maybe something they're looking back at and learning from, um, but I doubt there's a big revenge factor since um, a lot of Notre Dame side, a lot of those guys made I had never played against Clemson or played in that game. But um, from the Clemson side, I know they had a few guys that have played. That was a Deshaun Watson-led team that they played in the hurricane that night down in uh, down in Death Valley in Clemson. So, um, you know, it's, it's a, there's not a whole lot of crossover between the two teams because three years of college football, as we all know, is a long, long time. Mm-hmm. You have players come and go left and right. So um, there's not a whole lot of crossover as far as that goes guys still on the teams from those games, so I don't see a big revenge factor um, uh, for going into the tomorrow's game. Gotcha. So, um, like like fires, let's see, from 2012, six years ago now, Notre Dame is an undefeated team. What are some of the differences that you've seen from this team compared to the 2012 team? Um, This team, this team, the one Offensively, we have some. We have a quarterback that's very efficient, who's very uh, accurate, who completes seventy-five percent of his passes. Uh, we have a quick passing game to complement the running game. Uh, we have weapons on the outside. We have big weapons. In the twenty twelve, we kept throwing the ball to Tyler Eifert because um, that was the only guy we had out there who could play against that Alabama team. Uh, that Alabama team was stacked with talent um, on both sides of the ball, and they're too deep. So it was really an overmatched situation in 2012, physically and talent-wise. I mean, Eddie Lacy was running the football. Their offensive line was veteran, um, and they just came out and and just it was a whole different level of game. It's probably a game we had to be in. Uh, Notre Dame had to be in to show them what type of guys we needed to start recruiting to be able to compete at that Alabama, at the Clemson, at the Ohio State level. Um, so it probably was one of the things that springboarded six years later for us to beat 12-0 and and be in the playoff game with another shot at the national title. But the, uh, that's the huge difference in the, the, the 2018 team and the 2012 team. is A, quarterback play, which is always huge for every team, and then B, the types of guys we've surrounded this quarterback with. Um, you know, we lost two offensive linemen last year who were both top ten picks. And our offensive line... It's not as good. It's never going to be as good when you lose two top ten picks to the NFL. 
it's good. We have a good offensive line, so we're just retooling instead of rebuilding when we have a great year, guys graduate. We're rebuilding instead of – we're not rebuilding. We're just retooling instead of rebuilding. So we're – Kelly's learned to recruit guys in every class that can step in and play right away and can play at a high level. Um, so we're going to have – I mean, they've already got five or six guys who are asking for their draft status or draft grade to maybe leave early, and that's something Notre Dame's never had. They've always had four-year, five-year guys, and now we have guys who are ask, actually asking with a legitimate shot of going to the NFL three years in um, to their career, which is something they've never had. Yes, and the thing about Notre Dame is they's all, they've always had consistently great offensive line play, especially uh, Zach Martin being drafted by the Cowboys. I remember a mean tweet from Jimmy Kimmel's mean tweet saying, drafting Zach Martin is like getting socks for Christmas. Not the greatest, <laughs> yeah. but comes through in the clutch when you need it. For sure. He was a, he had drafted as a center. I believe he plays offensive guard now. And they're not, they're not, the, they're not sexy players. They're not guys who you're going to go out and buy their jersey, but they're the guys that are moving the man movers up front that are creating holes for Zeke Elliott and everybody else who's running behind them for thousands of yards. Mm-hmm. And the thing I was talking with Belden with to start to start the show we were discussing was Brandon Wimbush. Well, Ian Book has really closed the book on that on that deal and has taken the starting job pretty much exclusively. So, in a playoff perspective, how um, what um, how does Ian Book uh, make a difference for this Notre Dame offense come play for the playoff? Well, Ian Book, I was I was. Uh, when, I, when the change was made, I was kind of indifferent. Um, I really like Brandon Wimbush. I mean, the guy was the guy's twelve and three as a starter. He won us a ton of games last year. He's very athletic quarterback, but he's a, he's basically he is what he is. He's a runner and he can throw the ball deep. His intermediate game, his quick passing game, is still a work in progress. That I never think I think the coach of Saul was never going to come around to where it needs to be. So Ian Book, what Ian Book gives them, he gives them the intermediate passing game where we can hit a hit a play on first down and now it's second and four. Um, you know, he can throw a deep ball here and there, but it's not his strength, which but it doesn't need to be. And he can run the ball not maybe as well as Wimbush, where Wimbush would take it sixty yards, Book can take it fifteen. Um, so I mean, he can do some things that Wimbush could do, but he can do the things Wimbush couldn't do. Book can really do well, which is the intermediate quick passing game, get the ball to our athletes on the outside and let them. So, and I also think it gives Chip Wong um, another option, whereas Wimbush was what Wimbush was. He was a runner and a deep thrower, whereas Book can do five or six different things. So, if something's not working at halftime, it gives Chip Wong a couple more options to go to to be able to get things done in the second half. You don't remind me about Wimbush's deep threat ability because he exposed that in the first quarter against my Michigan Wolverines, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. He, he threw that deep post route to uh, to Chris Fink. Um, as right after your right after your safety got ejected, I believe. Um, tell us, yes. And, yeah, he threw. He's, he, I mean, that's what he gives you. He's able to throw that deep post, and he's not really going to underthrow it. He's going to be able to get it out there where his receiver can make a play. And that the Michigan game, I think, this year was the first game because Michigan's got great athletes on the outside too. And it was the first mm-hmm. game where Michigan or Notre Dame really showed the day that Claypool, Boykin, Jose Mack could match up with top flight athletes on the outside and make plays. 
and I think that gave him confidence going forward. And the Michigan win was a huge win in the beginning of the season to get that ball rolling um, to where it's at now. Definitely. So let's uh, before we switch gears to Clemson, let's talk a little bit about um, Dexter Williams against this Clemson defense. Um, well, um, what will he have to do to shed the Clemson defensive line? Well, I think the NCAA helped him out a little bit by uh, with Dexter Lawrence not going to be able to play tomorrow. I mean, that guy's 340 pounds, first-round draft pick, which they don't make those every day. Um, mm -hmm. With him not being in, I mean, he, we're going to have a hard time blocking him one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, you can't block him one-on-one. -on -one. So he was a whole team, which allows their linebackers to run behind and make plays. So now whoever comes in next is not, I mean, I don't care who they bring in next, it's not going to be Dexter Lawrence. So that helps a ton with Dexter Williams running the ball uh, in between the tackles. Because they do, they still have those two guys on the outside uh, rushing the passing. But a ball between the tackles behind the guards, um, that's going to be where we're going to be able to make some, make some hay there. And Notre Dame's running game is going to have to be, it's going to get, Clemson's defense is no joke. Let's, not, let's be honest. It, it's good. It's really good. But So we're going to have to be satisfied with getting work, no yards, one yard, for a few runs, and maybe, bam, they get a seam, and Dexter Williams goes 40 yards, you know, then back to no yards, one yard, two yards, bam, he gets another seam, 35 yards. So it's going to be a very grinded out type of game until they get a seam and then Dexter can hit it and split that seam and then maybe – 40 yards, maybe go the distance, whatever it be. But it's going to be a very grinded out type of game tomorrow. Yes, and I said it on the preview with Gray, but I felt that this game is going to accurate is going to be very close to what Clemson and Syracuse. When I was watching Clemson and Syracuse back in late September, I had felt like I was watching an actual grinded out NFL football game on Saturday. It felt that grinded. I feel this game will be the same way too. So Williams and Book will have to utilize the running game, and of course, a couple of deep throws to Fink or Boykin or even Claypool could perhaps be the difference for a Notre Dame victory. Let's switch gears to Clemson a little bit from one Lawrence to another. Trevor Lawrence taking over for Kelly Bryant midseason, which Kelly Bryant's going to Mizzou of all places. Um, <clears throat> do you think he gets any nerve? Uh, you know, a type of freshman, or maybe not freshman nerves, but type of nerves in this sort of playoff setting. And that's that's the thing with him. He, I mean, he's the real deal. He's a three-year guy. He's not going to go past his junior year, and then he'll go to the NFL. I mean, this guy is the real deal. He's been in big-time high school games, been in big-time games, but this year he's never really been in any uh, game pressure, per se. I mean, every game that he's been in, because he got hurt against Syracuse, which was their close game. But every other game, they've blown the team out. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, because Notre Dame can get pressure with their front four, with uh, Aquara, um, Clint Kareem, Tillery, and um, Jonathan Bonner up front. They can get pressure with those four. Then he'll have to decipher, uh, you know, the back seven and then play in some kind. So it'll be, and then if they get hits on him, they can hit at the end of the day. He's a 19 year old freshman, so if they can start hitting him and getting to him and maybe disrupting a little bit, maybe get a touchdown early. It'll be interesting to see how he's going to react to some adversity early on. But if you know if he can turn around, and hand it to Travis Etienne, you know, and he run the ball for 150 yards. I mean, it's going to be a long day for Notre Dame in that regard. And Trevor Trevor Lawrence is going to have a big day. But 
if we can bottle up the run game and get some pressure on him, uh, it'll be interesting to see how he reacts to the adversity that he's never seen all year. And that's another thing. We were 15 years old at one point. And at that point, we all felt we were invincible, which I'm assuming that this, well, just about every FBS team feels that way. And in fact, if we still feel that young, we probably still feel that way. But besides the point, well, for sure. um, the winner of, <clears throat> I felt the winner of that Clemson and Syracuse game, besides, of course, the fact that Clemson won was Travis Etienne. So uh, you're kind of starting into that next question I was going to ask you, but um uh, how, Notre Dame's defense stopping Travis Etienne. How will that be done? It's going to be. It's going to take guys uh, playing their gaps. It's going to take safeties uh, able to uh, dissect the run early and get to him before he can get started. Because if you watch him, he gets when he gets started, man, he can go, and he, you're not going to be able to catch him from behind. So it'll take safeties downhill uh, playing. Being solid, being solid tacklers, not missing tackles. Um, I mean, just just going to take guys in the back seven between the linebackers and he's just solid and not missing tackles. I mean, cause he's a great player. I mean, if we can hold him, if Notre Dame can hold him under 100 yards, they're going to be all game with a chance to win. I mean, he's I mean, he's he's a special guy. He's a special player back there, and you know, um, that's going to be their goal is to hold him under 100 yards and make Trevor Lawrence beat you with the with the with the pass. Yeah, and that, believe it or not, <clears throat> I feel a way that Notre Dame can win this game is kind of the way how Notre Dame beat Michigan. Notre Dame really stopped Karan Higdon and Chris Evans in that game and made Shea throw the ball while Shea was still learning a pro-style offense. And as you could tell from that game, Shea reached down. It felt as if Notre Dame's defense was pulling their ears back, just ready to unleash on Shea Patterson. And thankfully, Shea learned throughout that season, throughout the season that hey, you got to find a different way to snap that ball than to pretty much give the defense the sign, hey, I'm going to snap the ball right here. So, of course, it didn't work against Ohio State. No, really nothing worked in that game. But uh, besides the point, I felt that Notre, my point is that Notre Dame can stop a good rushing attack, which Michigan had. So if they can stop – now, Karan Higdon is no Travis Etienne by, no, by any means, but <clears throat> if they can stop a top-10 rushing game – a top 10 team's rushing game, they perhaps could stop ETN as well. And uh, how, in, in retrospect, how would Clemson beat, beat Notre Dame? Um, they got to get their, their linebackers have to play well. Um, whoever comes in for Dexter Lawrence will have to play, uh, maybe not up to what Dexter Lawrence can play, but he'll have to eat up some blockers to allow those linebackers to play. And that way, you know, because Notre Dame is the same way. If you can stop their run, if Notre Dame can't get, you know, to 100 yards, if Notre Dame can get to 100 yards rushing, they're going to have a chance to win the ball game. If they can't, Ian Buck's going to have to make some special plays in the passing game for them to win. Um, so, you know, I think if it comes up front, um, you know, with the loss of Dexter Lawrence, that's going to be a huge, huge byline in this game. Um, you know, it gives the offensive line a chance. Maybe make some roads in the ground game, um, but you know, at the same time, the defensive line is still good. They still have three other guys who are going to go to the NFL on that defensive line, and Notre Dame's got some young guys on their offensive line. So um, I think that's the biggest advantage um, is Clemson's defensive line is better than Notre Dame's offensive line, and Notre Dame's defensive line is better than Clemson's offensive line. So there's there's your advantage. Um, 
you know, your two advantages are on defensive line. So running the ball tomorrow may be uh, more difficult than, than than you think. So, you know, that, that whoever can get that first advantage running the football and maybe take the ball out of their quarterback's hands will have the upper hand uh, early. Yeah, so when Gray and I predicted this game, we predicted the scores to be in the 30s and the 20s. Before we go into um, score predictions, are there any contradictions that you had to the points that I raised um, when I was when my couple of rants there? Um, I mean, not really. Um, sure. I mean, Notre Dame. I mean, Notre Dame's going to have to play. They're going to have to play uh, as good as they played all year. This is the best team, obviously, they have played all year. But it's also the best team Clemson's played all year. So, um, no, I, if it's a blowout, Clemson's going to win. Notre Dame's not going to blow Clemson out. But if it's close, Notre Dame has a chance, and I feel like. Notre Dame's kicker also gives them a chance um, if the game comes down to a field goal or not. Um, so, I mean, there's a few intangibles here. And Notre Dame's special teams, as you know as a Michigan fan, Notre Dame's kickoff team has to be on point for this game because they gave up a kick return to Michigan, which made that, the score closer than the game was. And they also gave up a kick return to late year to Pittsburgh, uh, which made that game closer than it should have been. So the special teams in this game can also play a major factor in who wins the game. Oh yes, Ambry Thomas that gave Michigan he gave Michigan fans like me hope, and Shea Patterson Wall with a chance to win the game in a game that seemingly was lost. So, <clears throat> so how will this game turn turn out? Score prediction. Well, I mean, in my show, I'm a Notre Dame fan. I think I predicted this last week. Um, I think Notre Dame wins on a late field goal. They're going to win 31-28. I just can't see this game getting to a shootout. Um, I mean, as far as, you know, that goes, there's going to be some defensive plays. It's going to come down to who turns the ball over more. But I just see it seems, feels like they're the team of destiny. You know, when they get that feeling for a team, like there's just something going to make them win. So my prediction is Notre Dame 31, Clemson 28. That that team of destiny feeling that you've had, I had that exact same feeling on the 2016 Chicago Cubs. And yes, I'm a Detroit Tigers fan too, but I've been a Northside fan since 2011, so I've been through the rebuild and all that. That team of destiny, I could just feel in that summer the Cubs winning the World Series, and they did it. So for based off of that... <clears throat> um. I still like Clemson in this game. I went 34-20. Yeah, I went 34-20 in this game earlier with Gray, and I think I'm going to stick to that score. But if it if it's a different score, I think it's going to be lower, and you'll see maybe something like 24-21 or even 17-14, something like that. There's going to be a lot of running and a lot more running <laughs> in this game. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think they're, both teams are going to come out and run the football, try to get their quarterbacks comfortable in, into the game, into the flow of the game. Um, so, I mean, you're, I like to score the, the, the 20s, the score in the 20s. It could be in the 20s. Um, but, you know, it, also to, depending on turnovers and where they turn the ball over, it can get a little higher than that. But a big a blowout here, I think, um, you know, if it does get 14 points, like your earlier prediction, I think it's a late touchdown by Clemson that makes it 14. Um, but I just see these two teams as, you know, 
pretty equal. Uh, you know, Clemson may have a few athletes here and there. But I see them as pretty equal, and I think it's going to be a nip and tuck game uh, the whole way tomorrow afternoon in Texas. Definitely. So, what many have deemed as the appetizer to the main course has been devoured. And now we do, we we go to the main course, which is Oklahoma and Alabama in the Orange Bowl. Which when when nowadays do you see main courses involving oranges at restaurants? You don't. <laughs> but besides the point, <laughs> besides Not very the often, exactly maybe garnished with an orange, but or or if it's with a blue moon, perhaps if you have a blue moon, then you have. The orange wedge. The orange bowl. <laughs> Gray and I both thought that it would be a shootout. Do you agree? I agree. I think any time, uh, I mean, people have been bagging Oklahoma's defense all year, and rightfully so, it's not very good. But any time you can put a, you got a guy who can lead your team to 40 to 50 points, you got a puncher's chance. And I think Oklahoma conceptually, um, their quarterback is just is good enough that he's the type of quarterback that can beat Alabama because he's a dual he's a true dual threat quarterback. Um, I think they have a chance, and Alabama, of course, is going to put up some points. So I can see this game both teams getting into the forty, if not high thirties. Definitely. So about the Heisman vote as well, <clears throat> I had said to Gray, an SEC guy, yes, um, you know Jerry Donardo trying to. Trying to take a stab at Paul Feinbaum was kind of the way this went, but I told him that I would have voted for Dwayne Haskins over to a tag of Iloa. And my reason and my reason being is where was Tua during the second half of most games at Alabama? He's on the bench. He was on the bench. Now Gray came back and said, Well, what was he doing during the first half? And I said, Well, that's why he got to New York. But my, th- my thought was, if Haskins and Kyler Murray, who won the Heisman, had to pretty much prove themselves in the second half of games with Tua sitting, then perhaps Tua, Tua should have been third and Haskins second, and even, and of course, um, Kyler Murray first. But of course, our buddy, the Kangas man, would have voted for uh, Haskins to win the Heisman outright. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I, I like I like the vote. I mean, I think um, Tua hurt himself down the stretch, uh, especially that with the Georgia performance uh, when he set up the second half. And I know the vote probably might have been in before then, but I still might have swayed some votes there. But I mean, Murray did it all year long. Murray's teams scored forty. They they were they were scoring forty fifty points all year, all year long. They scored twenty eight against an Army team. Who Army won? First off, Army won ten games again this year, but they had the ball for forty-five minutes of a game, and so Murray had to be perfect in that game for them to win, and he was. Um, so there's, a, I mean, there's a, just things. Murray was just good from start to finish. Um, Tua had a couple of lapses in there. Um, you know, and like you said, he didn't play second half, so his stats when he matched his stats up, he was they weren't as good. Tua's stats is just Tua's stats just weren't as good. But because he didn't play as much minutes, as many minutes as the other guys did, and Haskins, Haskins was Haskins was better at the end than he was in the beginning. Um, he struggled. He had good numbers, 
you look at his straight up numbers, he had good numbers, but his start at TCU, his start at TCU wasn't good. Um, his start at Penn State wasn't good. He comes back, though, in the second half, and I don't know if that's Haskins or that's Ryan Day coaching him up, but um, those are bad. He had bad starts and came back in the second half to win those games. They, they, you, can't, oh, you can't overlook the, Penn, the, Purdue, the Purdue game. They scored 20 points at Purdue. Um, and, you know, and that's, you can say what you want about it. They give up 49. Their defense wasn't very good. But they scored 20. He threw for 475, and they scored 20 points against the Purdue. Uh, six and six Purdue team who just got beat by 700 today by a bad Auburn team. So, um, I mean, that, that game right there, I think, is a detriment to him. Then the next week they come back and they win 36-31 against Nebraska. So he had like three games there in the middle of the season that he was just a little bit subpar. And then at the end of the season, of course, he finished with the flourish against your Wolverines and then Northwestern to win the Big Ten title. So I think Haskins was a legitimate third. Two, it was a second, and Murray was by far and away the best, best player in college football this year. Yeah, and Kyler Murray pretty much had no defense. I mean, you and I could have went out on defense and perhaps could have done something on that, yeah. on that Oklahoma team. It was so to, to me, it was actually sad to watch Oklahoma, West Virginia, and see absolutely no defense being played. I'm more of an old school. I want to see a defensive ball game. And, well, nowadays college football, if you don't score – 30 or more points, you're not going to win. But <laughs> that's because games are now four hours long with all the media timeouts and commercials and all that hoopla. <laughs> like in SpongeBob, sounds like a lot of hoopla! Sounds like a lot of hoopla! I mean, that goes to your point there about Murray. He, um, I mean, he had to be perfect every week out because the defense was so bad. He had to be perfect to, for them to be able to win. I mean, Chris, they team you give 40 points to Kansas. Um, Kansas scored 40 points in the year sometimes. But that just shows you how good Murray was week in, week out, consistently all through the year. And, you know, that's what won him, ultimately won him the award. And, of course, on this podcast, it's been kind of a famous saying by yours truly, but never really mentioned outside of my own house or the podcast. But it's not the Big 12. It's the Big What Is Defense 12. For sure. I mean, yeah, you're coming to a Big 12 game, check your defense at the door. There ain't nobody playing it. I mean, it's it's bad. I mean, he, there's some games, and, and the, I'm, you know, I'm a big Baker lover now that he's with the Browns, but he watched some of those games last year with Baker, and these with Murray. I mean, he, they're throwing they're throwing simple curl-out routes uh, concepts, and there's the guy's catching the curl with nobody around him turning to get another 20 yards. I mean, it's, it's, it's really, really bad out there. I turn to my wife every, every once in a while we're watching the Big 12 game. I'll turn to her and I'll be like, you know what that guy's getting paid to call a defense is going to give up 70 points today? I was like, I could have been doing that <laughs> for $700,000 while that guy's getting paid. Yeah, no kidding. And another joke I another joke I pounce around on this show, what do Jim Harbaugh and I have in common? Good D. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So, uh, to, we talked about the Heisman vote. So, so the main course, oranges or not, will be at the Orange Bowl. And, uh, of course, you play the game of guess how many oranges are in the bowl. We never know. I, I'm going to guess about 120. But that, that, the, but that could actually be how many points scored. 
guess how many oranges are in the bowl? Guess how many points are going to be scored in this game? They might compare. Uh, how, will, might. how will this game go on Saturday night? That sounds uh, hurtful I mean, to hurts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so, I mean, there's a reason he beat him out. He got replaced in the second half last year in the championship game, and he beat him out for the starting uh, position. But, you know, basically, this game comes down to how, how Tagliavoa can, uh, can, can he last. Because this game is on grass, um, so the surface might be a little bit torn up. You know, it's been used all year long. So, depending on the surface... Uh, to his ankle. I mean, it comes down to a lot of that stuff. But you know, you know that one consistent here is Oklahoma will be able to score points. So I, I would not be surprised. Um, I haven't made my score prediction yet, but I would not be surprised. Oklahoma hangs around in this game and uh, makes it really interesting at the end of the game. But I think it's going to be somewhere in the mid-30s for both teams. So when I previewed this game with Gray, I made the prediction of 52-35 to 35 Alabama. And I had told him, Alabama has lost exactly one game in every season since 2012, I believe. And, and, and even in that season, I believe they lost to LSU. Correct me if I'm wrong. But they have lost exactly one game every season since. How many games has Alabama lost so far this year? Not a one. Zero. That doesn't necessarily mean they will lose this game, but I can tell you with darn near certainty, and this could be the biggest Tom Green bomb on the Tom Green podcast, that Alabama will not win the national championship simply because of that stat. They've lost exactly one game every season. They did not lose a game. So that means, by the transitive property, they will not win the national championship. Nick Saban, prove me wrong, and if you do, you can come on this show and say, I don't know, so quit asking. <laughs> I love it. Love it. And well, by the way... 2012 Alabama lost to Johnny football in Texas A&M. That was their one loss. They th thank you. Yes, I remember. I remember that now. The correction that made Johnny Football, Johnny Football, and his money man Zell <laughs> tactics. Which, That's right. <laughs> he's which he's calmed down now, but people can tell you he's still crazy. Oh, for sure. But for of course, sure. He, was, he was in Cleveland for about a year and a half and two years, and it was. I mean, the stories that came out of town about him were something else. Of course, with you being on this show, you can kind of tell that I have some crazy genes in my in me. But <laughs> <laughs> you got to, you got to. Yeah, if, if you got to live life the right way, you got you got to have That's a little right. crazy in your genes. So, with that being said, well, in your genes, physically and what's below your knees. But besides the point. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I do think Alabama will win this game. I'm gonna, 
I'm going to actually go uh, 55 to 45. Uh, Oklahoma can score points, but they are, uh, but they will definitely give up points. And it and it all depends on how Alabama's defense will go against Kyler Murray. And if, and the winner the winner the winner of this game will be Kyler Murray. The loser of this game will be Kyler Murray. And because he's playing baseball, I I can actually say that. So. You will see Kyler Murray on one side side of the statistic or the other as it comes to the actual W or the actual L. But big factor in this game, Alabama's running game, Alabama with uh, Hertz and Tagovailoa, whoever plays. And let's not forget that Kyler Murray was battling a battling a bug earlier this earlier this week. He was. He was sick. He missed media day. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm, so who knows if he got over his uh, sickness. Hopefully they got some chicken noodle soup so he can uh, get healthy. But in Oklahoma is also uh, the last game of the year. Marquise Hollywood Brown broke his foot. So I don't know if he's he's been cleared to play tomorrow or not. I know he wants to, but I'm not sure if he's going to be playing tomorrow or not. We just better make sure that just like when Jared Goff went to a D3 school and dressed up as one of their players, we got to make sure that Antonio Brown doesn't do the same thing here. That's right. Yeah, that's right. He'd make a huge impact in this game. But, um, yeah, I, I agree with you on all that. Um, you know, I think the game really comes down to whether Tua, how much and how effectively Tua plays. Um, if he doesn't play a whole bunch, and I don't think he'll finish the game. Um, I think it's closer and everybody thinks, I think it's going to be more of a 42-38 game, maybe 38-35. And I'm going, to, I'm going to drop a bombshell on you. I think Oklahoma pulls the upset with Tua not finishing the game and beats Alabama 38-35 in Miami to advance to the national title game. And you could also say that this is probably the best game played at Hard Rock Stadium this year. Sure. I mean, that, that Miami team was terrible. The Dolphins play there, too. They got their own place. The, the Dolphins, Dolphins play there as too. well. Oh, yeah. The Dolphins. And both, I think Alabama and Oklahoma could beat the Dolphins. They're terrible. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I'm looking at... The more I look at this, the more I'm... You know, two are being banged up. I think uh, Oklahoma is going to be able to pull off the upset and advance to the national title game. Uh in San Francisco. And then the Bay Area. So uh so you got Oklahoma and Notre Dame in the national or no, you got you picked Clemson. Or yes, you did pick Notre Dame. My bad. Uh so you have Oklahoma and Notre Dame in the title game. You and I have Alabama and Clemson. So we have the exact opposite national title game. So we both think that these title games are very well possible if if things play out the way we think they do. Um, for the title, for the playoff, as far as four teams. You have four really solid teams. I don't see it. Like, with Tua being banged up, if Tua was 100% coming into this game and they had just beaten Georgia by three touchdowns, I would say Alabama's a great, a great team. But with him being banged up, I see four really good teams. I don't see one great team. Every team here has flaws. Um, it's probably the first time since, I don't know, probably since 2014 when the Buckeyes won it. Those were like, those were four 
really good teams. Even though Florida State got blown out in the semifinal by Oregon, those were four really good teams, I thought. This is probably the, the best collection of four teams since then. Uh, last year's was pretty good, too, except Clemson wasn't as good, um, you know, with Baker's Oklahoma team, Alabama, and then Georgia. But, I mean, these, teams, these four teams are really close. And I can see you can get any mixed match of those four teams to be in the uh, national title game, and I wouldn't be surprised at all. Gotcha. So... With that being said, that a great another college football playoff preview. So, uh, uh, Mr. Kangas, the Kangas man, had told me, "Oh, he's probably going to give me hell on the show." So, go ahead uh, with the last couple minutes here. Go ahead and give Kangas a little uh, piece of your mind there about Notre Dame. Well, Kangas likes to berate Notre Dame's schedule. He doesn't <laughs> understand that. Being an independent, they have to travel. They travel 10,000 miles in November. I mean, travel and changing time zones adds to your schedule difficulty. And the schedule, when you put it together, you put it together five years ago. So these teams, like a Florida State was won five games this year, I get it. But they, five years ago when they scheduled them, they were pretty good. You know, there's some other teams, USC, Stanford, when they put them on the schedule, they were pretty good. Usually. Uh, historically, they're always pretty good. But this year, they just happen to have a down year. And Kangas will lead you to believe, I think in his mind, in his heart of hearts, he believes, they, and I love him for it because he is true blue this the way he thinks. The Buckeyes are the greatest thing to watch on the earth. There's not a flaw in their game. They got hosed by the committee. The committee is so biased. Everybody's against the Ohio State. No, and, Everybody, they whine, the Ohio State fans, and Kangas included, they whine all the time about everybody's against the Buckeyes. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable, really. But, I mean, that being said, Kang, I really like Kangas. We're, we're friends. But um, he's got, he, you got to realize that traveling in your, within your schedule and not just taking bus trips to these teams is really what makes that schedule very hard. Yes, definitely, and uh, I, of course, I've had Kangas on the show once, so we've we've had some pretty good shows, and of course, I guessed it once before. He he likes to use the term mollywopped, and he probably just got he got served a mollywopping there <laughs> with Mister Peters's comments. So there you go, Kangas man. The Kangas man can or the or can't the Kangas man. <laughs> So with that being said, anything, uh, as I usually finish my podcasts, anything else you have to add to this wonderful Tom Green podcast? I'll tell you what, I'm looking forward to four or two great games tomorrow, and then I'm also looking forward to that Michigan-Florida game at noon from the Chick-fil-A Bowl. I'm hoping that uh, Wolverines can pull one out there. But, um, you know, looking for a great Saturday of football coming up with a little, you know, playoff games, all the games in front of them. Um, I just love college football. I mean, it's the best thing going, I think. Uh, the regular season's great. This playoff deal's great. The bowl season's awesome. So, looking forward to a great another great day. Looking forward to New Year's Day. Um, great day of college football and, you know, wrapping this season up. And hopefully the offseason goes fast and we get to September really quickly. Yeah, that'd be great. As for Michigan Florida, I know he didn't preview much, uh, preview a lot of it, but as for the four guys that are out, 
It's next man up. Chris Evans is going to have to step up. True Wilson is going to have to step up. Notice how I said true there. Rayshon Gary and Devin Bush, the next man up. Don, I still have a lot of faith in Don Brown's defense despite what happened against Ohio State. I feel that's just a blip in the radar, and I think you're going to see a Michigan victory. Um, I'm going to say 31 to 17. All right, let's book it. 31 17. I like it. We'll be watching that at noon tomorrow. Definitely. As they go down to Georgia. And of course, you, you threw in a little Notre Dame pun there. Let's book it. <laughs> That's right. That's Indirect right. puns. This is why this show is very entertaining. So, uh, thanks again for coming on the show, Charles. Thanks for having me, man. Great time. I had a great time doing this. Uh, love talking college football with you. This is fun. And of course. So, and I'd also like to thank everybody for listening to the show. In the year 2018, our next podcast will be coming in the year 2019 after, or well, for our national championship preview, and I'm going to throw in a wild card preview as well for the NFL. So he is Charles Peters, not Marcus Peters, even though he's elite on the Rams. He's not Marcus Peters, but Charles Peters. And this has been the Tom Green Podcast.